everybody and welcome to this episode of Blades for Days where we're going to be talking about swords and sword fighting and sword training. Joining me today from Cork Blade Masters is my good buddy Andrei Rozitsky. Hey buddy. Yay, we made it. How are Excellent. you? I'm really well, thanks. How are you? I'm good. All good here. Good, excellent. Is this your first time using Zoom? Yes, it is. Uh, that, that's why I had to download it uh, first. All right. Okay. I'd like the the fact that this is your first time using <laughs> Zoom during a pandemic is like it boggles my mind. Uh, we're using Facebook uh, right. for okay. most of our meetings. If if you have like lower number of people, then it usually doesn't matter because Facebook is fine up to like eight, ten people, and then it starts to get bad. All right. Um, yeah, that, that, that makes sense. I've, I've been using Zoom a lot for my students um, for like running online classes, but also for movie nights. So mm -hmm. I'll have them on the laptop in the corner and yeah. I'll be watching the film. And we're just usually watching like a really shit movie. Um, uh -huh. Yeah, I'm just uh, chatting with them in the background. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So, uh, yeah, how are things for you? How are things in Ireland? Uh, all good, I suppose. Uh, we've been under lockdown for quite a long time, uh, as you know. So we've been under lockdown from March until July. Then we were able to get like two, three months of classes and then we were closed down again in October. Yeah. Uh, and it just finished this week, basically. So this is our first week hence the new haircut. Uh, this is <laughs> our first week uh, after the lockdown. Uh, so when everything starts to reopen and so on. Uh, but for most clubs in Ireland, as far as I know, uh, most clubs won't be reopening. Uh, because, for example, our uh, venue, which is community center, said that there's no point for them to opening just for us, because mm. no one else will be having any uh, classes. So they yeah. will they will close completely for Christmas, and they will reopen in January. Right. Uh, yeah. But we still have one venue that is still open, so we should be able to fit like two, three classes this month. But that will be all. Yeah. Awesome. It's I do love the new haircut, nothing. by the way. Thank you. It's good. <laughs> Is that, uh, is that for the mask or is it just because lockdown hair got out of control or? Uh, pretty, pretty much. I suppose both, but yeah, I was just sick of all the lockdown hair. Yeah, that's fair enough. I haven't had a haircut in about, um, I don't know, it must be like two years maybe. Um, and the reason, like, I'm a little bit afraid to go back because the last, <laughs> the last time I went uh, to get a haircut, um, the woman started haggling with me, right? Uh -huh. um, so I was like, okay, I need you to, like, I want you to cut it short so it's like eye line level. And she was like, no, no, you don't want that much hair taken off. And I'm like, <laughs> no, I do actually. And she's like, what about an inch? And I'm like, what about the amount of hair I'm asking you could to cut off? She's like, two inches. I'll cut off two inches. And I'm like, why are we, why are we discussing this? I'm the customer here, you know? <laughs> so yeah. Um, but uh, no, because yeah, you guys have the you have two venues. Um, is it what are the rules there? Because it's like different places have different rules. Could you meet up outside potentially? Uh, potentially. So we were planning actually. We were planning an outdoor meetup tomorrow. Uh, but I just got a reply from uh, one of our venues today, uh, so we cancelled the meetup tomorrow because tomorrow we'll actually have a class. 
but yeah, normally, so what we would do, we run uh, an online type of training based mm -hmm. on our YouTube kind of training that, that we published. Uh, so we're running this in a cycle, three classes per week, which gives just something to do. Uh, apart from that, we have some like online classes internally within a club and so on. And within this, we're, what we're trying to do is one kind of outdoor meetup every month or every two weeks. Here in Ireland right now, it's very difficult because, you know, of the weather and so on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we were thinking, you know, one outdoor meetup every week, but it's, it's virtually impossible with the weather. So then we were thinking every two weeks, but statistically, it's, it's more like one per month. Yeah, uh, but but we'll try. Basically, every time there is uh, relatively good weather, we're trying to do some sort of outdoor meetup. Uh, so right now we'll have at least those three classes. So we'll try to do a bit more indoors. Yeah, I I think everybody should train outdoors at some point. I think it's great. Like you know, even even if it well, like especially if it's raining and cold. Um, <laughs> you know, even if you just do it one time, uh, I think it's great because it's. Yeah, you, you know, you're sliding all over the place. Yes. Um, things that you can get away with on a flat, you know, surface. With uh, good grip, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, you can't quite get away with. I was talking to somebody, I think it was at Fela Nagashka, actually. Um, I was talking to somebody who was saying, like, uh, they, you know, they were jumping around a lot and we were talking about, like, footwork and stuff. And I'm not talking about, like, um, leaping, as written in the Zettel, uh, I'm talking like literally jumping kind of thing. And uh, I said to them, you know, okay, so if you take off the jackets, like the fencing jackets and the mask, how much jumping around do you think you would see? And they're like, oh, probably like a lot more because people would be lighter. And I'm like, oh, I don't know, because <laughs> I'd be a little bit reluctant to jump, you know, yeah. onto a sword kind of thing. But um, also, if if it were outside, so like if we, if it was kind of, you know, uh, meeting up at dawn for a duel, um, you know, in the common where, yeah. the, where the grass is wet from the dew and stuff, I don't like, I don't know that you'd be jumping around so much. Um, so yeah, I think everybody should go outside and train in the mud now and again. Uh, just yep. so they know what it's like to sort of slip. Not even in the mud. mud. Mud is a bit extreme. But even, you know, if you compare the normal concrete floor, for example, <laughs> tomorrow we were supposed to meet at just uh, next to my place. There's like a big uh, industrial area, kind of retail park, more like an industrial park. Uh, but basically it's almost unused during the weekends. So we got those huge parking spaces, mm. like, you know, gigantic for hundreds of cars that are just empty and there is light and there is some sort of shrubbery from one side, so there is a bit of wind cover. So it's actually very nice. So we were supposed to go there and we've been there once already. And even that on a normal kind of concrete floor, your grip is 50% of what you would have, you know, on our usual training ground, which is, you yeah. know, wooden floor and so on. On wooden floor, your grip is like 100%, basically. Yeah. You, you have always grip, so you can do everything you like. But all it takes is just move to the, normal you know pathway or the or the road and suddenly on this with the same shoes your grip goes by 50 percent move it then to the grass and you practically have no grip and yeah. if you are on the grass you actually have to change the way you're stepping you cannot really rely on lunges or on kind of very springy moves because every mm. spring may end up with a slip yeah yeah and i've and i've seen that happen um when we were at 
fight camp actually oh yeah fight camp is a very good example they also have like a small kind of holes and so yeah. on so the ground is very uneven so if you are aware of it you need to physically kind of think about where you're stepping exactly you cannot just step or jump you physically need to see am i able to step here am i able to step back am i able to step to the side and so on yeah. it changes everything i think for me because <clears throat> before i did um hema Mm -hmm. uh, before I got into HEMA, I was doing reenactment. And in reenactment, everything you're doing is outside. It's usually on grass. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it might have been raining the night before. But also, you're wearing, like, authentic shoes to the period, mm -hmm. which have, like, no grip on them at all. Yeah. So you're sliding all over the place. So you know you can't do this kind of, like, leaping about sort of thing. This kind of, like, these ballet yeah. uh, <laughs> jumps. And... Um, uh, the I, I kind of cheated uh, mm -hmm. last year because one of my students, he works at a Timpsons, a um, guy called Alan, and he's mm -hmm. great because he like modifies all our kit and, you know, uh, and one of the things that he did was he put like normal shoe soles on my mm -hmm. authentic shoes. So you can't yeah. see them, the, you know, the public yeah. can't see them. Mm -hmm. But I was like walking up and down hills, no problem. I'm walking up and down the grass, and I'm looking at the, like the other reenactors there. And I'm like, people, don't be afraid. I'm just like you, but I've got these awesome shoes. You know? So yeah. Um, and then coming to Heber, I'm like, yeah, okay. So I think maybe taking that um, that kind of knowledge of like jumping around on grass and ending up on my ass and sort of. Yeah. you know getting surrounded by spears um yeah that's uh that, that's really helped me out um i like the idea of going to a parking area or like a big industrial area and just parking all your cars mm -hmm. into like a big that, that was exactly the plan yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's something out of mad max you know uh, yeah um so how did you get into hema how did i get into hema uh it was kind of a slow and gradual process. I started in reenactment as well. Uh, so it was during my study time when I was studying in Poland in a place called, in a place called Opola. Uh, in Poland, reenactment is very big because we got like lots of medieval uh, infrastructure and so on everywhere. So statistically in every bigger city in Poland, you would have a reenactment group. For some strange reason, when I came to Apollo to, to the university, there was no reenactment group at uh, in the Apollo. And Apollo was like a county city. So it was like really strange. The city that was 10 kilometers away from it, which was like really, really small city, had already the reenactment group and all the cities around, but not the, you know, big university city. Yeah. Uh, so basically, uh, we created a group of people. We went to the mayor, we got some funds and so on, and we created the reenactment group. So that's basically how it started. It was in my early study time. I was 19, 20, something like that. Uh, I will run it for a couple of years, uh, but then we kind of, there were several groups and in, the re, in that uh, reenactment, everyone wanted to do something else. I was kind of focused on the combat itself, you know, on swords and so on. So we had, so we ended up with a small group of four or five people who were basically just trying to learn how to fight, which wasn't that easy back in that time. Uh, it was a long time ago, uh, before HEMA technically. Uh, so we hired a fencing instructor who gave us like a sport fencing classes. Then we hired like a, a some sort of uh, 
choreographer who would show us a bit of Polish saber and so on. And based on this, we were trying to kind of create something on our own. I don't know if it was working or not, but you know, we were enjoying it. Uh, so that, that was the most important thing for us during that time. Uh, and then later it kind of dropped. Uh, I was finishing my study. I had to, I worked in a different city. So I was doing lots of traveling. So I kind of shifted away from it. Uh, and during that time, basically the Hema, it was around the uh, year 2000 and so on. So during that time, the Hema kind of started around the internet. I was started to following uh, it via internet. I was, I started to watch all those YouTube videos and so on. Uh, so at the beginning, I was just following it. I, I had a very busy period in my life, so I wasn't really able to do anything with it. Then I moved to Ireland. Uh, I sold all my reenactment gear for like crazy cheap because I thought, ah, you know, I won't be able, I won't be needing this, right? And, you know, I was just chatting to all my friends and just saying, well, do you want this? Yeah, I, I don't know. I'll give you cheap. Give me something, you know. <laughs> and I just sold everything completely. Um, and then we moved to Ireland. Uh, I started a job and so on. And then it was, I don't know, two years afterwards. And I remember I was sitting, I'm a computer person, so I sit in front of the computer, you know, eight hours, 10 hours. I was sitting in front of the computer and I was just saying, God, I need to do something physical because it's, it's, it just won't work like this. It's, it's too much. It was like I was working, you know, one year or one year and a half nonstop in front of the computer. Uh, so I said to my wife, okay, so, uh, you know, this, this HEMA thing, I was kind of following it for a couple of years now, right now I don't really have any hobby or anything, so you wouldn't mind if I grab a couple of people and we just, you know, start doing something, I think she was saying, yeah, 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 no, sure, you know, have your time. Uh, <laughs> and that's basically how it started. It was literally just for me because I had, if I want, I knew that if I wanted to train fencing, I had to have some people to train with. Hmm. So I literally started first just, you know, on the parking lot and so on. Then after a few months, we rented the hall. And that's basically how it started. At the end of the year, I think I started doing my first German longsword course. And since then, basically, that's basically how it started. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's grand. Because, um, like, so was Martin, Martin Buckley, was he one of your first... Uh, one of the first no, no, Martin is relatively new. Uh, Martin joined two or three years ago, I think. Really? Oh, okay, yes. cool. Because, um, like, I, I know Martin, I've fought Martin a lot, and I, um, yeah, I really, I, I get along with him. We talk on Facebook. Mm -hmm. uh, and I thought that he was, like, maybe one of your first guys. Um, no, no. Uh, Michael would be Michael and Brian would be guys who would be from the second year, I think. We're not doing that for that long, really. It's uh, we started in 2013, so right. it's our seventh year, right? So Michael, <laughs> I believe, and Brian are doing at this point HEMA for like six years, probably. So right. these would be my older students, older students. Yeah, cool. So Michael Nolan is. Yeah. Yeah, he's the, he's the guy who's like six foot. What is he? Six foot? I don't know. Actually, probably probably bigger. Maybe like seven even. Yeah, because like yeah. that's the thing. I'm I'm six four, and he's bigger than me. Yeah. And okay, like there aren't. It. Yeah, it's six there aren't that eight. many people who are bigger than me in uh, you know that I've come across in in terms of height. Um, and he's one of the most like enjoyable 
like I, I really enjoy fighting Michael because um, uh, because of the fact that I don't get to fight people taller than me very often. There's Sam Aykroyd in the Academy of Historical Fencing. There's some guy that I came across in Italy um, and I hated fighting him. Like I absolutely hated fighting him because he's, he was doing these weird lunges, right? And he was just like, uh, so, and, and I started fighting and I found I was doing them as well. Um, we both, like mm -hmm. both of our, like all of, all of the technique, everything that we'd kind of like, you know, cultivated up to that point just went right out the window. And I was talking to him and I went, what, what, what happened there? Because I've seen you fight other guys and you're really refined. And, and he was like, oh, I don't know how to fight tall fighters. So <laughs> I was just like lunging at you. And I was like, yeah, I, I don't know why I started doing the same thing. I was like, but then, yeah, fighting, um, uh, fighting Michael, because he's really measured as well. He's not like, he doesn't just rely on his height. Um, although I had one experience with him earlier this year. Uh, Phelan Agashka and uh, I did um, like a, a Satano cut or like an Unterhau I think in German. Just, uh, yeah. Yeah. Undercut. Yeah. yeah, undercut. Yeah, make it easier <laughs> to like parry one of his descending cuts, right? And it was a solid block. Structurally, right? I'm there. There's nothing getting through that except he's just like, nah, I'm coming, I'm coming through though. And his sword, the tip of his sword, very slowly just pushed through <laughs> my guard and came down my mask. And I'm like, what's what's happening right now? <laughs> yeah, that was amazing. Um, and he's uh, he's really nice. I I think I think one of the reasons that I really get along with the Cork Blade Masters is because you guys have this really nice kind of unit like you're all like you're tight knit but you're not clicky you know mm -hmm. um uh, i love the way that you guys support each other when you're cornering one another and you've got like martin in the background and like patience like you know, <laughs> patience like you know measure and like i love that i think that's great it's surprisingly effective you know it was something we started to do uh during our training we have a uh, classes that we called coached sparring classes mm. uh and the way it works it's it's basically a coach sparring in tandem so you have a one person who is your coach and you uh are sparring and you're sparring for three minutes non-stop it's like self-judging so you know you just stop when you yeah. hit show you a good hit and you continue again and you just <laughs> do it for three minutes then you have a three minutes break during which your coach is giving you some feedback. And then you kind of, it's like a game where you're basically doing several rounds of this mm -hmm. and you do some sort of, you know, bond with your coach. Usually the way it works, the people are telling them, okay, so I want to work today on this, for example, on my overcut from the right. And then, and they kind of together work and try to, you know, uh, support it in such a way that it works. We have like a very structured system. So the idea is that you never allowed to tell them to change one more than one thing at the time. So you go like with really small steps, you know, if you mm -hmm. get hit in the hands, the role of coach is to figure out one action that will allow you to prevent it. So for example, change the guard. And then, and, and in this way, you're kind of trying to eliminate all of the uh, problems that you see in a fight. It works really nicely uh, because it goes like a small step. Usually person who is fighting is not able to concentrate on anything else but the fight itself. But yeah. the coach is able to see it. And after a bit of training, that's why we started doing this 
vocal kind of shouting and so on. I know it sounds weird, but it's really effective because yeah. very often what is happening is that coach tells you, okay, in order to prevent getting hits in the hands, I want you to stay in a high guard. The person stays in the high guard for 10 seconds, then forgets because something is happening and so on. Yeah. And uh, that person won't remember to get back to the guard unless that uh, the coach, for example, shouts, right? And mm -hmm. the coach simply, all he needs to do is to shout, high guard. And then it clicks, person automatically gets back to the drink. So it really, really is effective. It's not something that, you know, it's just for fun. Uh, it really helps in those scenarios when people are too focused on the fight that they don't realize that they're making mistake somehow. Yeah. No, I, so we started, uh, we started doing this and we started doing this on the regular kind of on this coach sparring session. And because it works really nicely, we started doing it also during the, our like internal club tournaments. Uh, yeah. Just, you know, to kind of give some sort of feedbacks. Usually it started with just, you know, advanced guys giving feedbacks to the less experienced people. Uh, and then it, it kind of works. And then we started to move uh, onto the other tournaments and use the same methodology. And it really works because it really kind of allows the person who is in a fight to get some message across. It needs to, it needs to be a very simple message, very basic, but it still works. Yeah. No, I, 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 think, um, I think it's a great idea and it's something I might start doing in, uh, the, in the academy as well because... The other thing is that the coach that's watching is learning to think more tactically as well, um, yeah. which is really good. I had a student on Wednesday and they were doing something as they were fighting, they were doing something. And one of my other students came over to me and said, oh, he's doing this. And I said, OK, um, you know, good that you noticed. I'll tell him later. And he's like, why don't you tell him now? And I was like, because right now he's, he's not in a place mentally where he's going to take it on board because you have <clears throat> kind of like two cognitive shifts you know when you're yep. fighting there's only so much kind of data you can take on um yep. you know and it's about the priorities your focus is always on whatever is in front of you so all the other information is kind of filtered yeah you really need to try to get the other information across yeah Melissa has three things that she tells me when she's coaching, uh, when she's cornering me. Um, breathe, because when I first started doing tournaments, like even though I know, like I've been doing, you know, fencing and in kendo as well, big deal to sort of like breathe. Mm -hmm. when, but like, I would just kind of like, <gasps> and hold my breath before doing something, you know? Mm -hmm. I know it's like a really basic thing. Um, I, I was really annoyed with myself because i found out after lockdown i realized i was doing it again so it's obviously mm -hmm. something I, I really need to get out of it um but there was that so she says breathe um watch your measure uh you know like you know watch your distance and then mm -hmm. uh, lastly have fun because if i start getting frustrated then yeah. the way that my like you know my, my mind shrinks and my yeah. view is so narrow so yeah she's just like have fun have fun with it and and the, when i have fun with it i'm like i'm loose you know i can move around more yeah. um and think more strategically so yeah um same thing it's it's those three very basic things and then every now and again she'll throw something in like oh he's doing this or she's doing that and then she'll just go have fun and i'm like right yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, I think it's I think it's really good. I might I might do that this week actually. Coached 
uh, coach sparring and just, um, yeah. just and you can do it. Uh, the advantage of this method is that it doesn't really rely on techniques or anything. So you can mm. do nylon weapons to the beginners and tell them to do their own sparring, right? It's it, it it may look really bad and so on, but it doesn't really matter because they will still be able to improve if someone will give them some feedback. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because it doesn't uh, rely on techniques, it doesn't rely on anything really. It just relies on trying to change some basic habits, you know, up, down, left, right, too early, too too fast, this type of things. Yeah. No, I, I'll, um, I'm going to give that a go, actually. I think that's really good. Yeah. Um, because it then means that there's less pressure on you as well as the instructor to sort of go to each person and say, you need to work on this and this and this. Yeah. Um, and, and people are more relaxed, I think, because of this, right? Because it's much more informal, right? Yeah. I'm, I just come over to you and the way it looks like, for example, in our class, I just come over to my partner. I'm just saying, all right, so today I want to train trusts, for example. Okay. Uh, so I will be trusting as much as I can. And you try to figure out, you know, what I'm doing wrong. Can I improve something, something like that? And then I go with the first round, we'll just spar for a moment, and then we came back. And my partner is, is telling to me, you know, okay, so I can see this is bad, this is good, you know, in simplified terms. Keep up the good work, don't do the bad. Uh, in our methodology, I'm telling them, don't just tell them that something is bad because that doesn't really give anything. Try to figure out a little more. So try to figure out how to fix it. So the example I'm always giving is, you know, if someone gets hit in the hands, ask them to change it to the high guard. Just yeah. the basic, you know, action, reaction. And and work like this through, through basic steps. If someone keeps too close, then I don't know, shout at them every time they're getting too close to remind them what is the correct distance. It won't work the first time, it won't work the second time, but after three minutes of sparring, if you keep shouting at them every time they get too close, they will realize what the distance is. And you know, and that's, that's basically how, how it works. If you keep yeah. doing it once every couple <laughs> of weeks, then you know it will reinforce certain behavior. Yeah, it won't teach everything, but it allows you to kind of eliminate those small, you know, bugs, habits, and so on that people will naturally get in time. Yeah, I think that's um, maybe one of the contributing factors to the Cork Blade Masters. When I fight you guys, because you're very competitive um you know you you compete in in these tournaments but you're not what i would call uh tournament fences which i you know i have no problem with um it's just that i it's not what i want to be if you know mm. what i mean like so um you know a tournament fencer to me is somebody who stays right you know if you're right-handed and you have a long sword you're staying in Langort, you've got your right foot forward, and you're either going for the hand snipe or the flesh, and it's just mm. those two things over and over again. And uh, it's like, fine, but I find that that's a really narrow kind of field. Um, yeah. And the reason I like really enjoy fighting you guys is that it's competitive, but it's there's a very kind of broad spectrum of ability there. It's, you know, so it's not just okay. Well, I'm going to start like you know, I'm going to stand there with my sword out here, and I'm going to like try and come in with a thrust mm -hmm. each time. Um, and so, yeah, uh, I think that's I think that's great. Um, we don't we don't train for tournaments, right? I think it's related to mainly this 
Uh, mm -hmm. Like our training, it's for just do the normal HEMA training tournaments are for us more like a field where you can actually test whatever we learn. We go to the tournament and see if that works. I think it's useful because it's allow you to kind of adapt. You always need to adapt to certain bits and pieces. If you don't mm -hmm. go to tournament, you will never know what bits and pieces actually you would have to adapt, right? Uh, yeah. So in, in tournament, you can kind of experiment on those small bits and pieces. Uh, and you can use, for example, existing techniques in a slightly more adapted version so it works in a tournament condition yeah. and so on. Uh, I don't think, I don't see a need of doing this, you know, kind of sport. It's very, like you said, it's a very narrow kind of simplified version. I think all the guys in my club has passed this point. I, I know that it's very, it can be very attractive to people who are at the beginning of their fencing career, right? Because it allows you to, kind of quick way of progressing because mm. all you're doing is just one or two moves so you will naturally progress much faster than if we i don't know in our for example syllabus we got 16 techniques right from from ringbeck so naturally if you train two versus if you train 16 it will take you you know five times faster to actually reach certain level of you know proficiency in this so yes it is attractive and yes it is it works in certain way but it also has its limitations right at some point you won't be able to jump fast and strike that fast at some point you will reach the plateau right yeah uh, well the techniques are much more universal because you can uh, you know replace one thing with the other right if you're too slow with the footwork you can be much faster with the handiwork and the sword work and so on so it gives you like much more flexibility much more you know other options that you can explore and this is what i like and i i like that you know each one of my students is able to kind of find their own strength and kind of explore it i think this is what how it should be done right mm. so you guys train ringek and you train um so you do saber Yes, we do saber, we do long sword, uh, and the whole KDF, Kunstdesfechten, uh, uh, right? Mm -hmm. And so Listenauer tradition. And we also started doing two years ago, so it's our second year, I think, when we started doing it more or less regularly. Sizer and Dagger, oh, cool. which we based on Marozzo. Ah, uh, okay, fair enough. Yeah, I'm I'm starting side sword next uh, next year for my mm -hmm. students, because they're, oh, can we do side sword? Can we do side sword, right? Now, the thing is about side sword, and it's sort of the same with saber for me as well, is that I don't really like side sword, but I'm good at it, right? <laughs> so, and um, for me, I feel like, uh, I feel like, like side sword, like I picked up the side sword and I was quite naturally good at side sword. And then, and I feel like that disqualifies me from teaching it because it's like, um, Not really. <laughs> well, in a way, because I feel like it's some, like it's unearned, right? So I watched the first season of um, The Mandalorian, and mm -hmm. um, you know, you've got like. Uh, you've got Baby Yoda. I know that that's not, you know, his name, whatever. But you've got Baby yeah. Yoda, and he can use the Force as a baby, right? And it mm -hmm. made me think, I'd be really angry if I was Luke Skywalker, because you've got Yoda going, no, you just need to believe. you just got to believe, man. And it's like, your freaky frog race people can naturally use the Force. Don't yeah. tell me to believe. <laughs> it's like when I race my nephew, and he's like, you know, he's seven years old, whatever. If I just 
ran right past him, which I do sometimes because I want to teach him that losing's part of life. So now and again, I'm mm. running with him and he's getting a little bit arrogant. So I'll sweep his leg and then I'll run yeah. right past him. But like, yeah, <laughs> it's, uh, that's the thing. Like if I pick something, if I pick up a weapon and just go, no, 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 you just got to do it like this, right? Just do it like that. Yeah. Come on. It's easy. Then I feel like, you know, yeah, disqualifies me a bit. But also because I teach Italian longsword or at the very least uh, Fiore's system, yeah. um, you know, I go from that um, and now I'm going to go, all right, so this is called a lunga and it's basically the, you know, the long tail guard. I'm holding the sword yep. behind me with the, sword, uh, with the tip of the sword pointed down towards the ground. But in, like there's in uh, Manchelino, which is the system that I'm going to uh, be teaching my guys, Cotalunga is like, yeah, there's Cotalunga Estrata, there's Cotalunga over here, it's over here, it's up there, it's, yeah, so I'm really looking forward to confusing the hell out of my students and going, yeah, yeah, you asked for this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm, I, I actually started using more uniform terminology. Uh, we're kind of using the German terminology still because we're teaching it, you know, through the course and so on. And, and with KDF is slightly different because the name of the techniques also are in German and so on. Uh, but whenever I can, I started to basically just learn, just uh, use the English kind of neutral names of the guard. So, you know, low guide, low guard, high guard, outside, inside, this type of thing. Uh, I, I think it helps. I think mm -hmm. the more complicated things should come kind of later. So for example, it's, it's an interesting thing right now when I, when we're doing the side sword and dagger, I'm trying to almost like not use, you know, Italian terms. It's just, uh, well, we, we have to, we have to learn the name of the guards and so on. Uh, but I'm referring mainly like, you know, parry low, block high and so on, inside, outside, only this type of terms. Yeah, I do that to a certain degree when I have new students in the room. So rather than to, like, you know, with um, uh, Fiore, for example, rather than saying Mantrito Fendente, which is mm -hmm. a descending cut from Guts, the right yeah. shoulder. Yeah, I'll, I'll just say a descending cut from the right shoulder, but then gradually I'll try to introduce yeah. that language into it. And I, because uh, the, um, the guys at the Academy of Historical Fencing, they use English terms as well for the different, uh, the different guards and the different attacks and things um, because they they teach a lot of different weapons um, so that's something that like I understand using the English terminology um, the reason I try to teach the Italian terminology is that if because I started HEMA when I was in Italy uh, for me it became kind of like this universal language so I'd, I'd sort of stand at the back of the class and my instructor would be speaking in Italian and I was like, I have no fucking idea what this guy's talking about. But then he'd say Mandarito Fendente and I'm like, oh, I know that one, right? So yeah. it just meant that I could understand what I needed to do. Yeah. And so, yeah, like it doesn't matter if you've got somebody coming in from whatever country, if you're all speaking the, the kind of the, you know, with the parlance of that, that fencing system, it helps. The other thing is, it's really sexy. You know what I mean? Like uh, descending cut, that eh, sounds okay. But when you use the Italian, it's cool. Mm -hmm. Which system, uh, saber system do you use? Robert. 
So the Napole Napoleonic era. Yeah, so that's why I'm saying for us, uh, because we started doing more and more systems at the beginning, when we were doing only the KDF, it was much easier. We were just using, you know, German terminology and so on. Mm. Uh, then we added Roward. Right now we're adding Marozzo, so it becomes more and more complicated. But I think it's you have a point that at some stage it's nice to introduce the original uh, meaning, original understanding, because then everyone can kind of read into that individually. Right? Yeah. Not everyone will want, but you, you're giving them the opportunity to do it. Uh, but at the beginning, it can be confusing, I have yeah. to say. At the beginning, <laughs> it makes sense, you know, especially, for example, in my club, uh, because our beginner's course is only in longsword. We don't have beginner's course in any other weapons. So everyone is going through the same kind of, you know, pipeline where they're learning the German methodology and so on, German terms. And uh, so then, you know, after they finish the course and they're going and we have, you know, side sword and dagger class or we have the saber class, just not to confuse them with lots of different terms. We just started to use, you know, inside, outside and so mm. on. Yeah, no, it makes sense. It does make sense. Um, and uh, yeah, it's the same for me. A lot of the time when I'm bringing in newer students, longsword is people love longsword. Yeah. It's, it's a great weapon. Yeah. Uh, plus, I think it's nice that it's, uh, you know, symmetrical. So there is no difference between right and left handers. Uh, you know, you don't need to have one side like really prepared and so on. I think that that helps at the beginning as well. Yeah, yeah, no, it does. Um, and I, because I, when we were in full swing before the uh, coronavirus issue, um, I had the problem of the older students were like, we want to learn different weapons. Yeah, side sword. I want to learn side sword. I'm like, fucking side sword. Yeah. So <laughs> it's the bane of my life. Um, so the older students talking about that and all the newer students, as soon as I was like, all right, cool, we're going to do sword and buckler. We're going to do, you know, we're going to do dagger. We're going to do poleaxe. Yeah, yeah. And all the new students go, when are we going to do long sword? Like, when's yeah, long yeah. sword happening? Like, oh, God damn it. So, yeah. yeah, it's not that easy. Yeah, <laughs> so, so to satisfy everyone, uh, that's why we started doing like we're still doing longsword as a bulk of our classes because that's what everyone wants. So like sixty percent of our classes are longsword related. Yeah, and then everything else we're basically squeezing within that forty percent uh, yeah. block. Your um, so early. Oh, I was about to say earlier this year, but it was last year. Um, mm -hmm. Time has lost all meaning to me now. Yeah. You know. <laughs> um yeah so last year at fight camp um your long sword um workshop i think that was the best one i did at that uh, at, at fight camp um normally keith farrell is like above and beyond the the best workshop i do mm -hmm. and i really enjoyed his um but i think there was just a bunch of stuff that you were teaching which i hadn't even kind of thought about and it was like a particular cut and you know cover and cut mm -hmm. exercise that we were doing that was both it was really informative but it was absolutely knackering because it was after the tournament uh, it was after i'd been teaching my workshop and i decided to use oh, i'll use my heaviest sword because i want to get like <laughs> the best workout possible and by the end of it because it was just like right cut and then cover onto the other side it was just i was like oh jesus you know <laughs> so yeah and uh, and it was like it was just these um simple ideas mm -hmm. applied to 
fencing and it was like you know parrying with the flat as opposed to the edge and how you can use that to kind of like mm -hmm. bring the sword around on the other side um yeah. that was great because i'd been telling my students up to that point don't parry with the flat because it'll collapse your structure so you want to keep that you know you want to keep that there so you know um mm -hmm. seek their flat with your edge and then you're yeah. like oh no try it this way and then i came into class like that week and i'm like yeah. guys we're gonna parry with our flat this time <laughs> and everyone's like what yeah um, there are some some instances uh, but you wouldn't want to parry with the flat for example in the low guard uh, so so there are variations right it's not it's not like all set in stone yeah i think it's funny though when you get those kind of breakthrough moments um you know I uh, I was I was doing something I can't even remember what it was. I was out the back garden and I was practicing a mm -hmm. particular kind of cut. Uh, and this was with side sword again because I'm like trying to get prepared yeah. for next year. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm out the back. I'm doing some side sword cuts, and it was just um, like slightly changing my grip for the um, undercuts. So yeah. like, you know, um, bringing the cuts up the Sotano and it was just slightly changing my grip. And I was like, <gasps> and it, you know, it was just that light bulb moment, um, yeah. like having this epiphany. It was, yeah, it was amazing. Uh, and it was like just the slightest change of mm -hmm. like yeah, how yeah. I was holding it. It is, it is, it is like that. Uh, I think everyone has this moment. I'm not sure because I've never really asked directly, uh, but I think it's a natural way we progress, right? You know. Uh, because that's how I see it from the perspective. All my students are kind of behaving similarly in similar stages of their experience. At the beginning, everyone is like very jumpy and very tense, you know, like a loaded machine when you're basically just doing one thing and that's it. That's, that's the first stage. That's the stage where people are doing like doubles and so on, where they're learning how to do it properly. Then the second mm -hmm. stage is only once they uh, relax a bit more. So their, you know, their muscles are not that tense, so they can do more than one action at the time. That's usually the part where people are starting, you know, to walk around and so on. And what I'm noticing is that those breakthrough moments are the moments that kind of, you know, changes from one phase to another. Because those breakthrough moments are the moments that kind of realize that you can do something that you were doing before in a much more efficient way. So you start doing it and then kind of allows to do other that frees you know your mind or something to do uh, other stuff right so once you allow the better understanding once you have the better understanding of the cut it will allow you to have a better understanding of the step that should follow after and so on and so on i think it is like that but yeah i have uh, i had lots of these moments uh, and I think it's just a matter of experience how your, our minds are processing those things. Uh, that at first we're just repeating what we are told. And at some stage we stop repeating and we're doing them actively with thinking, you know, what we're doing. And that allows us to more flexibility because once we think what we are doing, we can start to change, uh, you know, adjust and so on. That's, that's how I think it works. Uh, I had similar thing with actually that thing that I was teaching in a class, right? So with the hangen, right? Because I was always thinking of it as, as a kind of steady structure that you operate through your hips or the shoulder. You know, you stand in ox and you just basically turn in your hip to do the hanging guard and so on. 
but because of this, it always involved like a big kind of circular movement. So it was relatively easy for people to go under that guard always, always, always. And, and at some stage when I was doing it, uh, I wanted to do it uh, with that fair how as a response. So I shifted to the thumb grip and I tried a couple of times. And then I realized that there's a very simple way of doing it just by turning the wrist. So rather than doing all the rotational movement, you just turn the wrist like this. And then suddenly the point drops in a very, very small movement. And that was for me also like, you know, really, really breakthrough moment. Yes, I can shorten that movement three times from what, what I was doing before. And then I, you know, tested it in a fight and it really worked. And I said, oh, okay, great. And then it allowed me to understand, you know, then how the zone, how type of movement when you're, you know, shifting from cut to trust should work because they're working exactly the same. I was always overextending and overdoing it while all it takes is just a little shift of the wrist again, very, very small movements. But I think we need to kind of grow to see this. If I would told you what to do, you wouldn't be able how to do it, right? It's still something that you have to learn through practice. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in because <clears throat> uh, before coming back to Britain, I was an English teacher, and mm -hmm. um, one of the things that I, that I I would teach my Italian students, and then before that, my Kazakh students, and um, there's a teaching methodology called guided discovery. And I use it in, in fencing as well, because I think it's, you know, something that you can use universally. And it's that thing of if I tell you how to do something, you'll do it once and then forget it. But if I kind of lead you to figuring out doing how to do it, it yourself, yeah. you'll remember it forever because it's yours. Um, and I think that's great. And those breakthrough moments, they're, yeah, they are brilliant. And I, because I was talking to um, my students recently about, um, the fact that they, you know, some of them have felt like they've plateaued recently. And I said, that's because you've learned all the basics. So you learn all the basics. And then because you're learning all these big actions, these big things. So like footwork, you're learning footwork, you're learning balance and distance and how to cut, you know, well without going, Whoa, you know, <laughs> like doing this big arcing thing. Um, you're learning how to sort of manage your strength as well it's not about you know every cut doesn't have to be you know the strongest possible cut um and so you know you've gone from that and you've you've and now it's all about just like fine tuning everything and it it makes you feel like you you hit this wall and you're not gonna you know and then it's like oh well this is you know this is as good as it gets and the other thing is because you're more a part of this world now and mm -hmm. you know you're more a part of the HEMA world, and you're you're more exposed to what constitutes good, like what's good fighting. Yeah. You see more of that, and you're like, well, I don't look like that. I don't look like that at all. And so you think that you're down here, but you're really actually progressing. You just can't see yes. it anymore. Um, yes. It's like yes, watching grass. Exactly work. that. Yeah. Uh, I I think it's in every it's it's a psychological effect, right? The more we're 
competent in certain things, the less we're confident that we'll do them properly, right? Because we see how many things can go wrong, right? Uh, it's similar thing like, you know, when you fight the beginner, fighting with the beginners is like the most scariest thing of all because you never know what they will do. They will yeah. do a completely random thing and no matter how good you're prepared, they will always surprise you because they're completely doing random stuff. Yeah. Uh, but once they learn, they start to be more and more predictable. So ironically, you know, people who are better are actually more predictable. But this allows those tactical decisions and so on, the whole chess game, right? Yeah. Uh, so yes, it's perfectly normal. Uh, from what I see, there are at least three stages like that. And every stage usually has this type of light bulb moment, right? The first stage is just to go from this, you know, one hit kind of mentality. But very often this is happening because people are not trained enough. You know, you just trained one hit, you cannot do this parry and this from the other side. It's just too much. So you just do whatever you, you're able to do at any given point. Then the second stage is when they are starting to do kind of chain sequences. Uh, and then the third stage is when they're able to do, uh, make like tactical decisions live during the fight because that requires to all muscles to be completely relaxed so you can actually you know react to whatever your opponent is doing normally that takes good couple of years right so it's not that easy and it's very uh, you know easy to miss because it's something that goes gradually you start at the beginner then you know everyone around you grows as well so you compare yourself to them you compare like you said to other people on the youtube and so on because your knowledge grows you see lots and lots of things that you need to you know improve i need to do that i need to be better at this and this and that and that but you know small steps and it, it just goes like this yeah and i think overtraining is a thing as well and also because of covid like some of my newest students the only experience they have of HEMA is in the academy. They've, they haven't fought anybody else. Yeah. Um, and so, like, I really want to encourage them to get out and, you know, uh, fight other people. Well, other HEMA people, not just random, you know, yes, yes. <laughs> not just go out and fight some randos. But, like, yeah, uh, go to other HEMA schools. Uh, my plan this year um, was to try and travel around Britain as much as possible. So I went to uh, Leeds at the start of the year and I fought the Tree of Shields guys. Um, and that was good fun. Um, there was a there was a guy there, I'm not, not too sure of his name. Um, we had a good fight, but he was obviously very, he was very confident in, in uh, long measure, you know, mm -hmm. and um, uh, but I like closing my opponents down sometimes. Yeah. If I feel like their defense is low, I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to bind on and just like, you know, shut you down sort of thing. And I did that. And I wasn't expecting, I, I was, I meant to go in for like a sword wrap. So my left arm was extended, but mm -hmm. he kind of panicked and he ran forwards. And so I ended up sort of like clotheslining him <laughs> to the floor. And I was like, I'm really sorry. Are you okay? And he's like, yeah, I just, I don't like, I wasn't expecting that. And whenever I closed him down, he was just like, so he, he'd sort of like tense up. And so, yeah, he, you know, he, he obviously learned quite a bit, uh, a bit from that. Um, there were other fighters there who were just, um, just so good at kind of coming in and out really quickly. Uh, and it's something that I'm unused to from fighting my own guys or because uh, I fight with the Academy of Historical Fencing quite a lot. Um, it was something that I was not quite used to from them either. 
and so yeah I, like i i think that you know the students that i have that are worried that they're that they've kind of plateaued it will you know training with other people will open their eyes and there's yes. like positives and negatives that well there are always positives really i think because like even even if you think okay yeah i'm great i'm the big dog and then you go somewhere and you just get the absolute shit kicked out of you by everybody that's awesome because that's still a lesson yeah um and then you get other things where you're like nah, i'm not that great like i'm, I'm you know um I'm, i'm not doing all that well and then you go to another class uh, or you go to another school and you have some really good fights and you're like oh that worked and so did that and this is really good too and then that kind of helps you to get perspective the kind of perspective which watching things on youtube doesn't mm -hmm. normally um because the types of things that you're watching on youtube as well is usually the you know the top level fences uh, or, or you know uh, instructors who are putting up these videos of things that they're doing yeah. um so yeah i'm what, I, what I'm telling to my guys usually is that you never uh, learn anything from the fight that you win. You always, you, you can only learn from the fight that you lose. Yeah. Right. So uh, we have this thing uh, in a club where we're trying to kind of force ourselves to do certain things because it's very, very hard, especially at the beginning. Once you learn something, you learn let's say cut to the hands, for example, right? Yeah. And you're really good at it. It's very hard for you to do something else because the risk associated with the other like unknown technique is much, much higher, you know, 10 times higher. Mm. But the problem is if you will never force yourself to do it, you will never learn it. Yeah. Right? So, so what I'm saying is you need to force yourself to lose. Yeah. Right? Because you know that if you lose, if you uh, use the technique, you will most likely lose most likely you will get hit with the afterblow and so on because you will never be able to do it immediately, right? You need to train it and so on and so on. Uh, so that's why I'm saying, right? If you want to learn something, be prepared to use that technique and be prepared to lose with it for a yeah. long time, right? And then you will gradually see uh, the, you know, improvement. Yeah. Um, I, that was one of the breakthrough moments for me as well, I think, is that I was sparring and I was sparring to win. I wasn't sparring to learn. Um, and it was around the time that I went, okay, I'm going to try and do this. You know, um, I'm going to try and do this. And I messed it up. I completely messed it up when I got hit in the head. And it was that thing of like, oh, that's not so bad, actually. That's okay. Like, oh, all right, I got hit in the head. But it was because it wasn't because you know of negligence it wasn't because of anything it was because i was trying something new and then that whole thing of like getting hit in the head's not so bad if you're doing that and then the next time i did it i got hit but it was like a soft hit in the arm and i'm like all right that's yours but i'm getting closer you know i'm exactly. gonna get you next time kind of yeah. thing and then eventually you manage it and you're like okay right so i need to have like i need to step here not there i need to have my yeah. sword here yeah. not there exactly yeah um because I remember the first time I fought uh, Marco, who was my instructor, um, it was like my first lesson, um, and it was side sword. And so maybe another reason that I don't like side sword is because I associate it with this horrible pain, right? Because <laughs> I had just had an operation on my hand, right? Uh -huh. Uh, I'd had um, I'd had the metacarpals in my hand uh, had dislocated. Two of them were dislocated. 
Mm. And I had, uh, so for about a month, I had uh, K wires in my hand um, to, you know, to, to keep them in place. And I just had them removed um, and I returned to Italy and I fought Marco. And as we were fighting, uh, my hand was getting weaker because it had obviously, mm. you know, uh, the muscles were still really, really tender. My hand was getting weaker and I went in for this thrust and he kind of parried it and very smoothly disarmed me. But because my hand, I'm wearing a big fencing glove and it's wedged yeah. into this, this guard, uh, my hand just kind of like turned the wrong way. So it just went like that. And I still like, honestly, I had tears in my eyes from like the pain of it. And he was just like, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, no, that was just so beautiful. It was really well done. <laughs> and I'm there going like, oh God, I really hope my hand's okay. I was just, I just need to go to the bathroom like real quick and, and, and check on something. And I was there just like cradling my arm. Um, and I came back in and like, I'd never really done that much side sword. In fact, that was the first uh, side sword lesson, like I said. So I was like, yeah, you need to teach me how to do that. And he's like, yeah, okay, in time. Like basics first, and then we'll do, yeah. we'll do that. Um, and so now, yeah, it's, it's one of my favorite techniques to do uh, because I had it done to me. And I'm like, I know how painful it is. <laughs> yeah. So what's the future for you guys now with... Um, the the covid thing kind of ah, the future is uncertain as you know yeah <laughs> uh, but we have some plans but right now it's all kind of in the air we don't really know uh, so as you know we've uh, cancelled the blade masters open so our event and uh, that was supposed to be first in april then we move it to october um, but effectively we cancelled it, uh, so we're planning it to move it next year i'm actually talking to several venues where we could run it I think it will probably make more sense to do it in the second half of the year. Uh, so we'll probably stick to the same period of August, September, October, somewhere around that. So either the very end of summer or beginning uh, of autumn. Um, if we're lucky, we're trying to basically this time, uh, because there is a problem with Ireland that every time if someone comes to the event it's you know very isolated you need to take a, a flight then you need to get a hotel then you need to arrange the transport and so on it's it's quite complicated logis logically so uh, what we were thinking is to do it in one place where you could have everything so basically there is nearby it's about 10 kilometers from cork there is uh, like a holiday center oh cool that is that is called Trabolgan. Uh, it's like a really big holiday center, but they have two sports hall and they have, you know, like a self-catering houses. Uh, so we're talking right now, if we could do the Blade Masters open there, it would be much better because basically you would have everything there, including the catering because they, they don't have a restaurant, but they have like, you know, shops with some bits and pieces and so on. There is a golf course there. There is a pool, sauna, you know, all the basic stuff. I think paintball field as well. So there's lots of actually cool stuff that you could do there. Uh, I don't know, before it was very, very busy, but right now after COVID, I'm not sure. So that's why I'm trying to kind of see if there is any, you know, open yeah. for us. Uh, if there will be, that could be really fun because then maybe we could even uh, extend it to, for example, Friday as well and do like a three-day event. 
uh, normally our setup was that we wanted to do the tournaments because we never really had the proper beginners tournaments in Ireland. So we wanted to get to start the tradition of doing, uh, you know, the tournaments in all possible categories. So beginners, mm -hmm. then women, then open. And so do it for the saber and do it for the longsword separately. Yeah. So we wanted to have it in two days. So one day will be all tournaments in saber. The other day would be all tournaments in longsword. Uh, so if we will be able to get that venue, that might open uh, the chance to give some sort of Friday slot as well uh, with, I don't know, either some workshops or some free sparring time. Just, you know some additional yeah. stuff to do so that's the plan but again it's i'm talking with uh, you know with the venue owners and so on but it's really hard to plan at this point so these are kind of a loose plan most likely from the point of Hima island most likely we will try to do the irish league as well so the three tournaments uh, but again it's really hard to say at this point i don't think they will happen in the first half of the year so i think we will be probably shifting everything towards the second half of the year and kind of observing how's the situation how it will be changing uh, but yeah. that's basically the plan for now uh, from january theoretically we should get back to normal training uh, so then we'll kind of see lots of the you know kind of plans will have to be like that in 2021 you kind of plan but at the same time you're like very you need to be aware that you just might need to cancel yeah with like yeah. no notice almost uh, so so it's a bit difficult uh, but we're trying we try to keep the blade masters open i think uh, it's a good idea to have this type of uh, event where you do multiple tournaments for you know both beginners and advanced because then these people can mix can see you know everyone can learn from each other basically and that's why i would want to have some additional time for maybe some workshop or something on friday if that would be possible that would be nice as well but time will tell and uh, so that's it basically plus the normal training uh, we will do our leg of the league and probably each club will do their own leg of the league. So in total, we should have about four or five events next year planned in Ireland. Uh, from what I know, the Belfast guys, so the MCG Medieval Combat Club, uh, they have also cancelled their own event, uh, Belfast Blade Works. Uh, so they will probably try to do it as well somewhere around June, July next year. Mm. So like it's going to be a very busy few months. Yes, but you know, right now everyone is planning it this way. <coughs> In two, three months, it may have all changed. So yeah. it's, it's really hard to say. Right yeah. now, it's more about kind of observe and, and see what, what you can do, where you can fit your event in. Yeah, because that's the thing. I'm pretty like sure the... it's the same in English, right? Yeah, in England, yeah, yeah. Uh... Um, I mean, there... I don't, I don't really um, take part in many tournaments. I know there's the Wessex League. Um, I that will wherever that will be and whenever that mm -hmm. will be, I'm not too sure. I usually try to make it to like one of those. Um, I I can't make it to all of them because um, I'm a busy and popular guy. You know, I've got I've got other <laughs> I've got other um, things going on. Um, yes. And uh, yeah, I know that there are, you know, there are things that happen and I've talked, uh, they'll probably shout at me for, for saying this, but I've talked with the AHF about doing something, uh, potentially. Mm -hmm. 
and um, they they've got their uh, sparring days, and they literally we get together for uh, three four hours and just fight everybody, um, yep. which is great. Um, I absolutely adore um, the AHF sparring days; they're grand. Um, yeah, so. It, it is. It's a big question mark. And hopefully the vaccine that people keep talking about will change things. You know, maybe the anti-vaxxers are right and people will start melting and they'll be like, oh, see, told you. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, probably not. Um, <laughs> well, you know, hope not. Uh, so, you know, yeah, you're right. The landscape is shifting. Melissa and I talked about... Um, potentially going to Russia uh, and doing something there because she grew up in Moscow and um, she was like, should we go to Moscow? Should we, should we go to Moscow? And I'm like, nah, and she said, Oh, we could maybe tie it in with going to like a HEMA tournament. I was like, Oh, uh, yeah. You know, sounds better. I'd like to travel to uh, like, I like traveling to different, different countries. So I wouldn't actually mind going to Russia uh, and checking out Moscow because uh, I think it would be cool. But yeah, tying it into a tournament as well, knowing how good the, the Russian fences are. I'd rather go to like a sparring thing if possible and just like mm -hmm. fight as many people as I can because um, not like the, the thing with um, tournaments is that there, I traveled to Italy last year to take part in one, and there were six like six different categories. So there was like um, uh, there was like two two with side sword, two with sword and buckler, two with long sword, and um, I took part in all of them uh, mm -hmm. like back to back, and I was absolutely knackered um, because I managed to get through to the to the finals of every one of them. Uh, and I managed to place in four of them, which was great. It was like, yeah. But by the end of it, um, I was like lying on a bench, uh, just sweating. Because the thing is, if I do a single sit up, I'm cut, uh, like I'm drenched in sweat. I'm like, oh, okay, you know. So, so I'm just lying on a bench, and I'm just like, you know, people were coming up to me and going, Jordan, are you dead? And I'm like, no, no, I just I need to get my breath back. So, but I think that I think that that was just a fluke, you know. I was just really lucky in that tournament. That um, and the thing about it is that, like, in, you know, if you if you don't tie, if if you don't take part in like literally everything that you can, then you might get like five fights. Unless you actually get through to the finals, you you might get five fights, and it's like you know two minutes each round or three minutes each round, whatever. Yeah. Yep. Um. So if I was to travel to russia and take part in something i would want to just fight as many people as possible yeah. uh for as long as possible um so you know yeah that's that's kind of why i'm like you know if i could just find a club where like somebody i know is really good and go come on man kick my ass you know <laughs> come to Cork I'd, I'd love to come to Cork I was planning to come to Cork um, well I was going to come to the Cork uh, the tournament that you were talking about because you were talking it's about a, the yeah. the afterblow rule which is really interesting um, because it's not about 
the tempo, it's about the distance that you cover. Is that right? Yes, pretty much. We have yeah. unlim unlimited time for afterblow, just to make it short, which means you can always hit with an afterblow. The only situation when afterblow doesn't count is if you do more than one step, which effectively means if you start running after your opponent, uh, yeah. then the judges will just stop. Yeah, yeah, that's fair enough. I, how difficult is that to uh, to judge? Because super easy. Yeah. Ironically, yes. That's that, that was like my biggest revelation of that system. Mm -hmm. uh, I kind of going to it gradually as well. I, we used to have like a after blow rule, where you know the person who hits first gets the more points than the person who hits second and so on. But it never really worked out, uh, and I was constantly trying to looking for something that would, you know, like ah. Uh, allow the fight to be to look normal and to kind of behave normal my, because my biggest grip was always that the rules can change you know your fencing behavior to the point that it's no longer fencing especially if they're like sport fencing rules because then you're just ignoring everything and just going for that one touch and so on mm. uh, i think because we never really had any other rules that was the only template that we have so at the beginning of him a lot of clubs just kind of took this as a template uh, and just add a little bit of modification, but all the rules that we used to have in HEMA were always in the, with this mindset, you know, just hit once and that's it, and, and you're and you're good, right? There was some afterblow rules, but very often people or the clubs were adding like a very short times for the afterblow, which means you know if it's din din, then it's right, but if it's din din, then it's out of tempo. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it's a sword. It swings. It doesn't yeah. really matter if it arrives a second later or not, uh, right? So, uh, but that was also my worry at the beginning. I was thinking, if I would do like the full afterblow rule that afterblow always counts, and you just need to basically parry to survive, as would logic suggest. Yeah. Then, it, then it might be like super hard. I was thinking, you know, for example, at the for the beginners, beginners will be like doubling all the time because it's very hard for the beginner to be able, you know, to kind of uh, compress all this knowledge and so on in a fight and be able to, you know, hit and parry and move back and do all this stuff, right? Uh, but we said, okay, we'll try it and, and we'll see basically how it goes. And out of the sudden, it looked that all the beginners that started had no issues at all. They were actually much better in that system than our guys who were training, you know, under different rule set, because they said, well, it's obvious you hit and you don't get hit. That's it, right? That's, yeah. that's, that's the whole system. There is nothing else to it. And I was like, yes, <laughs> that's a very wise thought. <laughs> and that was basically how I how I realized that the system doesn't have to be complicated. And I like immediately I've dropped like, you know, one, three, three quarters of, you know, all the rule from from the rule set. And I said, OK, it's not going to be like that. My rule set needs to be a simple and easy to judge, right? Because then the problem with more complicated rules is you need to have more experienced judges. And it becomes like a vicious circles, you know. More experienced judges are harder to find, right? And so on and so on. It's it's not going to work in a longer scale, you know, in a scale of a country or something. You're not going to always have experienced judges. You need mm. to be prepared to the situation where you're just taking someone, putting him as a judge, and that's it, right? Because that's how 99 of the tournaments works. In 99% yeah. of the tournaments, you don't really have dedicated judges who are paid to be there. 
You're mm. just have the normal people who are just helping out. So I was thinking this this needs to be like really really simple, uh, and that's it. So 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 that's why I said okay, well, let's just ignore literally everything. Let's just do only two uh, values, so three and five, deep target, shallow target, and let's just do after blow always counts, right? Nothing else, which means basically that you know you need to hit and either parry or move out of range which represent more or less how the real fight would look like right yeah to hit your yeah. opponent and either parry or get out of range basically and and immediately all the beginners started doing like this so for example what i realized is that the beginners very quickly started to learn just by watching how the system works started to learn the parry repost because it seems so natural Right, you're just going in to hit, then parry. If the first one didn't work, then you go again and parry and step back. I didn't teach them that at all. They just picked it up just by looking at the system. Ah, okay, yes, that that makes sense, right? You just hit and parry, and step back with parry. Yeah. And and we tried it in a couple of combinations, and we said this is really good. Like it, it, it has no issues, right? There is no issue with the tempo because the tempo is unlimited. So it, so you don't have to worry who hits someone first because it doesn't matter if they both hit, they both got no points. And that's basically mm. it, right? Because the points are uh, deducted, right? So if I hit into the deep target, someone hit into the shallow target, then I got two points. Uh, if we both hit the same target, there is none. So it seems very, very intuitive. And so people don't have to change their fencing for the, you know, for the purpose of the rule set, right? In yeah. order to comply with the rule set. You just go and you do whatever you want and you just make sure that you hit your opponent and don't get hit back. Uh, so yes, I thought it will be com super complicated. I thought it will be very hard to do, but ironically it's not. I think it's actually easier uh, because of the fact that you don't have to watch for this tempo, you know, who hit who first, you know, who hit where and so on. No, we got only just two targets. If you hit the arms or the legs, it's a shallow target. If you have anything else, it's a deep target. Yeah. So the only thing that the judges have to see is basically where the hit uh, landed and was it with quality, was it not with the flat and so on. Everything else is kind of self-explanatory, right? Because you don't worry about the time, you don't worry about anything else. No, I think it, uh, I think that makes sense. The amount of times that I've been, um, I was I took part in a tournament, and it was, if anything, if any afterblow comes in, it cancels out um, what you did. And uh, yeah, I remember I put a thrust in, and it landed. You know, it was it was dead center of their throat, and as I was withdrawing. Yep. The tip of their sword like flicked my shoulder a bit and they were just like okay like after blow like blow after blow no points and i'm like oh come on son you know yeah, <laughs> yeah. um it does make sense um i like obviously everybody will game any system you know um whenever there's there are no perfect systems it's it's often why i don't read the rules mm -hmm. when i um uh, when I go to a tournament, I don't read what the rules are because I just want to fight the way I'd normally fight. Yeah. Um, and that's been fine for me so far. Um, and that's how the good rule set should be, right? Good rule set, at least in my opinion, should be neutral, right? It should be yeah. just like a framework that you just go in and use whatever you've learned, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. I, I've Because... The, the one that I went to in Italy, um, as you say, like the, the, the judges generally when they come in, they haven't had any training. Uh, and on like on 
two occasions I went into sudden death with my opponent. And this were, these were the two that I got knocked out from. Um, and it was, we went into, uh, it was sudden death. And so it was, uh, I went for a strike on my opponent. They managed to get a cut, a shallow cut to the arm. And I, just before my hit landed and it took mm -hmm. them on the side of the head. And uh, they said, okay, well, it's first blood, so your opponent has won. And I went, okay, fair enough. All right, that's cool. Um, and then, like, later on, I went into sudden death. I think it was the next day. I went into sudden death again. And um, as they came in, uh, like, they came in with a, a strike over the head. I struck them in the wrist. I, I withdrew. Um, but my, my guard wasn't very good, and they pushed through my structure, and they hit me in the head. Yep. And um, they came up to me, and they went, his strike was more substantial than yours, so he wins. And I'm like, well, hang on. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I was like, all right, cool. Um, and I think, yeah, I think in, in you know, situations like that, it's, it's, it is tough. Like, I, I've done very little judging, and I, I spoke to um, uh, Keith Farrell about it, uh, who, and he said, quite rightly, that if you take part in a tournament, you should judge at some point because you then get an appreciation for how hard it is. Yeah. Um, especially if it's quite a boring fight, I guess. You know, if you've yeah. just got two people and then it's like a, a, a video game arcade, but the you know they've left, like somebody's left, and it's just two characters kind of yeah. bouncing up and down on the spot. Um, it's very tiring because you need to be hundred percent focused all the time because everything yeah. is so quick, so it's really draining. Uh, yeah. it, it's really, for example, important uh, so the judges are swapping or changing and so on, because that's another thing that I've noticed that attention to details and you know perception drops. Like after one hour, after two hours, it drops mm. dramatically down. Yeah. So that's another thing. But but that's why I think uh, the good system should be simple system, right? That should be easy to comprehend. That should doesn't have anything that adds, you know, on top of the of what judge already needs to do, which means, you know, see all those fast moves and so on. Yeah, 100%. So that, 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 that's why I think this is this is really good system and that whole after blow simplification, I think it works really, really nicely because it just makes sense. I with, When I can see how the beginners are kind of taking the system for them, it seems something completely normal. None of the beginners since I started using the system has actually asked me anything about the rule set, you know, just to clarify something. Because it's so obvious, right? You got two targets and you just need to parry. And that's basically it. There is nothing else, right? You fight for three minutes and you just try to score the points. That's basically how it works. So uh, I've noticed that it, it really, really works in a way that it's very simple very, you know, self-explanatory. You can grab someone from the public and tell them to just, you know, watch green, red, where this, where he gets hit and just show up, down. And that's basically it. It really works. Uh, yeah. And I think it, it makes the uh, fencing much more similar than to what we see actually in the treatise. It still will be different because our fencing in the tournament is much more kind of hyperactive, you know, it's much faster, much more twitchy and so on. It will be like that. It's it's normal. You can't you can't have everything. But I think with the right afterblow, which means kind of unlimited afterblow, meaning you can always get hit, uh, all those strategies that you have are actually start to make sense. You know, things like I don't know, in Marozzo, for example, uh, hiding the part of the body to the very, very last moment, right? You're constantly hiding, hiding, hiding. And only when the time is right, you're moving in and out, right? Mm. 
you know, into hit, out to back to back to the recovery. And that works in every system, basically, right? And it's a natural way of kind of, you know, fighting, conserving energy. Uh, if you have an afterblow that will punish you every time you do some sort of, you know, overextension, more suicidal action, then you just won't do it, right? Then you start really, really taking, you know, your time and taking, you know, observing what is the tempo, what is the actual measure and taking all these details. And I'm 100% sure of it because every time when we're doing this Blosfechten exercise that we're doing once in a while, which is basically fighting with the masks only, you do an exact reaction from people, but this reaction is instinctive, right? You, they don't really, you don't really control, right? So it's a scenario in which, right, we're both fighting using only masks. Theoretically, the only target that is allowed is only mask, right? Mm. We're not really targeting anything else, but just the fact that you don't have any protection changes your game 200% completely, right? Because you know that every time you overextend even tiny bit, you might get hit because you know that if you make an even tiny mistake, you will get hit, right? So what that changes is that people, instead of run, you know, randomly attacking and jumping forward, people just start to get this. Uh, yes, no, yes, no, uh, uh, no, maybe, yes, I'll step back, I step more. <laughs> and half of the fight, maybe even 80% of the fight is basically judging your opponent's movement, judging your opponent's distance, judging what your opponent will do, hmm. which is exactly the thing that you will see in a tournament with like a long after blow, because it's the same thing. It's easy to hit someone, but it's not easy to hit and do not get hit back, right? So the game kind of shift, uh, the focus shifts from uh, not attacking the opponent, but to attacking the opponent and how to recover safely in that one go, basically, right? Which again is how to hit and survive, basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I, I put something up for my students today um, and it was from uh, Manchalino's side sort of thing. And I was like, all right, this is really important. I need these guys to know this. And it was, uh, there are two virtues that you need to know. And it's, well, there are a bunch of virtues because they're always going on about the, the different virtues. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's like how to, uh, how to defend yourself and how to strike without exposing yourself to being mm -hmm. struck. Yeah. Um, because, uh, and it's this wonderful quote as well. It's uh, because if you, if you, can't uh you know if you hit while being hit then you're both the victorious and the vanquished and yeah. you share your opponent's shame and i'm like yeah that's great you know i want to get that like a tattoo really good yeah, yeah it is isn't it <laughs> yeah um just that negative reinforcement of shame shame on you, you know? um this has been awesome man um i really enjoyed it where can people find you online uh, people can find me online at uh, our website, corkblademasters.com. Uh, we have a YouTube channel, corkblademasters, and we have an Instagram and a Twitter account as well. Just look for corkblademasters or blademasters and you'll find us for sure. Uh, just uh, in small information, we will be kind of rebranding probably next year. Right now, everything, all of, all of this stopped because of the COVID, uh, but we're opening a new chapter in Limerick. We're currently running a course there and so on. So we will probably change the name to something more neutral like uh, Blade Masters Academy. Okay. 
Oh, that's exciting. Just so it's not Cork, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We have oh, a limerick, cool. and there is a third chapter maybe coming. We'll see. Right now, every, all of this obviously stopped because of COVID. Uh, but hopefully we will grow a bit more. So then, uh, but the, look for the Blade Masters and you'll find us. If you want to find out more about HEMA, visit www.academyofsteel.com or you can find us on YouTube, and Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And if you have any questions or suggestions of anybody that you would like to hear from, send that over to info at academyofsteel.com.